Um, have any of you all had a child in one of the spring programs that the preschool did this week? I thought there were several of you. Okay. Then um, Amy's Drew goes five days a week. So we went to program on Thursday and we went to program on Friday. And there were, oh, come on in. There were several observations that just really hit me. For one thing, they were just beautiful children. I mean, there were the stage full of children. And I thought, <coughs> what potential to make this world a better place? I mean, I I'm very serious about that. What will those children do in the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years? Um, the world can truly be a better place because of them. Then, it was so evident to me um, the different personalities of the children. If you were there on Thursday, and I don't know who the child is, it may be one of yours, she was the cutest thing, this little black lady. She literally bounced out to the stage, and she pretty much bounced through the entire program. She was so excited. She was not just barely bouncing, she just adorable. Loved it. She took energy from the performance, brought energy to, is, 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 it, is that anybody's? She, I mean, she just saw the show. She, I don't remember if it was in the same class, but it was about the same age. There was another little girl who sat with her head down. If there had been a roaring lion close by, she, she would have had an appropriate reaction. And I had one of those. It wasn't Amy, but it was her older sister. I'm saying this to say, Maybe you thought your child would be the one that bounced up and down. Or maybe bouncing up and down is the last thing in the world that you're comfortable with and you thought you would have the quiet, retiring child. But you got what you got, okay? You didn't place an order. And, well, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. You, we need to embrace who the child is. Because if you ask that bouncing child to sit passively, like that very retiring child. You are gonna frustrate her and you too. And she's not gonna be all that she can be. And if you demand that this retiring child become this personality. I remember um, my oldest daughter was, ex and is to this day as an adult. And she's very vocal in the family where she's comfortable. But give her a group of people and ooh, she doesn't like that. She's not, She's comfortable teaching. She teaches high school, but it's very different when it's other adults. She doesn't like to be in the spotlight. Never did. And I remember she had a friend that was just one of these outgoing, friendly, just never met a stranger. And I can remember thinking, can't Perry be a little bit more like that? I just, I guess I thought that child would end up being happier because she was friendlier and more outgoing. But as life progressed and we got beyond that little very young stage and they got into school, that child that was so friendly and so outgoing sometimes was a little over the top and a little obnoxious. And I remember thinking, hmm, there are flip sides of this. And I will entertain for you that all of those behaviors have flip sides. That very strong-willed child that is determined to do it this way, and yeah, you gotta work hard on that. But that's the same characteristic that's gonna let him look at his friends when he's always like, oh yeah, let's go party. And he's gonna say, no, not gonna do that. 
that same strong will. What other observation I had? Um, don't take offense at this. <laughs> Drew is the fourth child. When the first child was in spring program, we were there very early on the front row. We were all there lined up. It had been on our calendar for months. Now, he had people on this that loved him, but it did not have quite the same, our lives are evolving around this event that it did for the first child. You can just say, Mom works at a conference in Texas. But I did go to the dress rehearsal. She did, and we sent pictures. But I'm saying all that to say, if you and there are reasons for that. There are other things going on. For the firstborn, everybody can go to his baseball game, but now they've got more playing than there are parents. So sometimes somebody plays and there's not even a parent there. Does that mean that child's going to be damaged because he's not getting what the first one did? Of course not. Are there advantages of being the first four? Yes. But are there disadvantages? Yes. And the provision of brothers and sisters that's such a gift also means that there are going to be some differences here. I say that because I, I sense sometimes that some of us have some angst over the fact, oh, I read to my first child all the time. I don't read to the second child as much. Well, duh. <laughs> of course you don't. You have another child to consider. Does that mean that the sum total is going to be unsatisfying? No. Because that younger child's going to have a, 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 a brother or sister that reads and talks and simulates. There's a gift there. I guess I just thought that sometimes we beat ourselves up over things that are not necessarily negative. Does that make sense? Okay, let me ask, how many of you are going to be out of town next week? I know that's spring break for a lot. Okay, I was trying to kind of tweak what I want to do. Okay, <coughs> let's look at discipline a little bit more. Discipline hints. Don't call accidents disobedience. Is it inconvenient? <coughs> yes. At our house, there was this intriguing pattern of behavior. Now Fletcher, my husband, is as low-key and mellow as they come, but he doesn't like this. And with fair regularity, somebody knocks their milk over. Now, the Shrigley household, we don't sit down and have, on school mornings, this wonderful breakfast, especially as the kids got older. They wanted to read the paper or do things at breakfast, so we've got it all, you know, it's kind of a mess. And so when the cup turns over, he gets on the newspaper, which Fletcher's not pleased about. So he would kind of say, uh, I mean, he, he didn't shout at anybody, but he clearly got provoked. That's carelessness, maybe. It's accident. But would you say 75% of the time, after they turned over the milk and he made a little bit too big a deal about it, he turned off the 
turned over his coffee. It was like <laughs> clockwork. Um, and he had the good humor to see the irony there. We're going to talk about being fair. It's not fair to label an accident as disgraceful. Yes, they probably weren't being careful enough. Yes, the cup is probably too close to the edge of the table. Yes, there's probably too much stuff spread out. But none of that was now intended, okay? And so there's a real sense of unfairness if we call it disobedience. Accident just happened. And what a wonderful opportunity to model to your child what do you do when an accident happens? You clean it. You take care of it. Now that does mean that as soon as they are able, oh, I'm so sorry, go get a paper towel, clean it up. And their cleaning it up on the floor will never be added. Okay? But that's really good experience for them to take care of the accident because that's what we do as adults. Make sense? When you're giving instructions to the children, your children be very specific what you want. Being quiet, being good, acting nice, and especially cleaning up a room, we don't define the same. True, all of the toys on the floor have to go in the basket. I don't go say go clean up the den, so go pick up two. But all the toys, or all the toys except you may run the Legos on the, on, the, on the table, that's his big thing. Once he builds something, he wants it preserved for prosperity. Um, but but being specific about what you want, okay? You know, I don't, I've been married almost 49 years and we still have issues. I think what I have said is so clear and what he heard is not at all what I think I said. Does that make sense? That's even more exaggerated. And lastly, don't harass your child. Why are you being so stubborn today? What is he supposed to reply to me? <coughs> he doesn't know. Another thing that I would caution you about, especially after a child has done something that you think is really serious and you're having this significant conversation, I want you to promise me that you will never ever do that again. Young children don't have a sense of a promise. Um, that's the reason you don't promise Disneyland next summer for good Disney World next summer for good behavior. They, they don't understand what that means. And they will promise all day long whatever you're demanding that they promise. <laughs> but I, I think you mentioned the significance of what promises are about when you kind of coerce one child, and they're just not, a young child's not mature. I'm not sure any child's not mature. Okay. Okay, what doesn't work? Anger, overreacting. I loved Autumn's comment. I wrote it down. I'm going to use it in classes in the future. A child needs your calm in the midst of their chaos. So if you start getting angry, you are bringing fuel to a fire. And some children, no, 
not, these are not bad children. But some children will even kind of enjoy seeing mom or dad losing it. For others, it creates anxiety. And so that even makes their response again less intentional. Okay? Maggie. And threatening. If you hear yourself say, I've told you and told you and told you. Either tell them to do something or shut up. Okay. Otherwise, we are what we don't want to be. We're next. And um, threatening, it, it's fine to say, um, if you don't stay right beside me, I'm going to have to hold your hand and then hold their hand. I am not a fan of, if you don't keep up with me, I'm just going to go off and leave you at the grocery store. No, you're not going to go off and leave you at the grocery store. Okay? Um, and so, I can, I think, that's a, it's kind of an out of control. It's, it's an untrue statement. Um, I've always felt a little bit guilty about this. When our children were very young, we um, worked with Agave and provided foster care for some older <coughs> girls. Some of them had been removed from their homes for human <coughs> services for various issues, and a number of them were unwed mothers. Um, but most of them were fairly young, um, 12 to 16. One of them that we had that um, was 12 going on 20 when we got her, had no concept of truth. Now, in her defense, she had been removed from the home because of an abusive stepfather. And I think she had learned to survive, you say whatever you think they want to hear. But she would lie when there was no reason to lie. Just, she just didn't really get truth. And my, my children were very young. I, I think the oldest was about six or seven at the time. Now I remember thinking, oh, mom, how important being able to trust what your child says is. And that became a real big deal for me. I always felt a little guilty that we had practiced on somebody else's children to, to learn some things about parenting our own. Um, but I, I feel personally very, very strongly about monthly. Okay, next one. Oh, excuse me, poor baby. Well, he's just tired. When you excuse it, and there's certainly behavior that you're going to choose not to react to, but make that decision on the front end. Don't get into it, and then just give up. Yeah. Is a crossover between a couple of these? But one thing that I would say for us and probably fairly universally, I think that work with my children is the um, and I'm so guilty of this talking and talking and talking to mm -hmm. them and thinking that I can just kind of convince them enough or explain them. And this was highlighted to me several years ago when one of my children was, I don't know, <laughs> six or seven, and we had like been working on this issue forever. And I felt like we were having this breakthrough moment because I was really getting on to him and I was yelling on the phone. I wasn't yelling. I wasn't, I wasn't over, um, well, I wasn't over I wasn't angry or screaming. But I was really getting on to him, you know, getting in his eyes. 
and he was really watching me, and I felt like, okay, we have finally broken through. Like, we have connected. I've got this. And then I thought, maybe I'm getting a little too strong. And so I said, Cole, I love you, but I need you to know, you know, whatever. And I said, Cole, are you listening to me? Do you know what I said? He goes, uh-huh. And I said, what have I just been talking about? That you love me? He's like, no, that is not at all what I'm talking about. And he had to top it all off, which like really hit home that this is not working. He looked at me, and again, I'm thinking like we're connecting. He looks at me and goes, Mom, why do you have those lines <laughs> on your forehead that never go away no matter what you do? <laughs> so it's like, okay, this totally didn't work. That like rings in my head all the times I find myself like talking too much that it doesn't work, at least with my children. I would venture a guess. That Kyle really did know what you had said to him, but he's going to play that. <laughs> <laughs> and again, that's what smart children do, and you have smart children, so you want to expect some of that. Okay. All right. Um, several years ago, I got this book, and I didn't take all of it, but I loved her R's of Punishment. She says, if punishment is not respectful and reasonable, the child will experience resentment. I can't trust you to be fair with me. Now, remember the teenager that I just told you about that lies all the time? She lies because she has been in an environment that she can't trust to be fair with her, okay? Um, we see children, uh, <coughs> especially that are dealing with an alcoholic parent, where the rules change. You never know when dad comes in, is he going to be in a great mood or is he going to be drunk and raging? And so they can't trust that it's going to be okay. If your child can't trust you to be fair, he can't confess to you. And what you want is a relationship that's very safe. When discipline is working well, it provides safety for your child. There are boundaries that we can count on. And he's not old enough and mature enough to create those boundaries for himself. But you do that for him. And he can kind of relax knowing that those boundaries are there. Is he going to tell you, thank you so much for providing those boundaries for me? No. He doesn't even know. He couldn't put that in words. But there is overwhelming evidence that that's the case. Okay. Okay. Um, revenge. You have used your power selfishly, and I will get even lighter. Um, this is so adversarial. Um, this is the downside of power. Power in any situation, whether you want to look at political power, or power in churches, or power in businesses, or power in family. And you've got to have power in all of those places. But whether it's used for the good of the business, or the country, or the church, or the family, or whether it's used, and I am not making a political statement, if you're reading that into this, I'm, I don't do political statements at church. 
Um, but anytime power is used selfishly, there is that kind of angst that makes us want to retaliate. And we're going to get the power and we're going to use it for our good in our way. And so when you use it selfishly, now, is a two-year-old going to understand if you're using your power selfishly or not? No. I really think they're not very old, six or seven or eight, when they begin to get it. And by adolescence, okay. Now, it is not selfish to say you will not backtalk me. Why is it not? Why is that not selfish? It's when he's talking to me. When he's talking back to me. I'm, come on, I want you to. Because it's not in his best interest to do that. It is not good for him to backtalk authority. That's not how you have a good life. And so you're not going to feel guilty about addressing that behavior, even though it's negative behavior pointed towards you, because you're doing it not to show that you're powerful and in control, but to show that this is not what is good for my child, and it is my God-given job to take the power that I have as a parent and help him be all God can have. And I guess I would, if nothing else, I'm not interested in promoting any particular technique or whatever. I throw this out to help. But I want you to have confidence that when you have to be the tough parent, that you're doing it because that is the right thing for your child. Okay? Okay? And last, sneakiness. I'm not going to get caught next time. I think that's one of the most serious issues with um, don't, don't, don't dare punch somebody in front of me. That's not fair. <laughs> um, now, sneakiness is something many children go through. So that doesn't mean that your punishment is not fair and reasonable. But if it's not, they're going to learn. Let's see if I can call it off. Um, I don't think there's any way your adolescent child is going to come to you and own up to something if you're going to go off the deep end with the punishment. Now, I, I'm big <coughs> on consequences, but I would rather have less stringent consequences and be sure that it's fair and reasonable and something so tough that you're driving your kid away. And I am not giving you an out on that, okay? Can I be real clear? So this means, <coughs> and it's one thing for a two-year-old to say, no, no, you can't throw the toy, I'm gonna put the toy in the shelf because you threw it. It's a whole different ball game when the, as they get older. They're not going to always agree with your decision, but they really do develop a sense of, yeah, I don't like this, but this is, this is the family rule, this kind of makes sense. Now, I also think as they get older, remember punishment doesn't occur in a vacuum. We're also teaching, we're teaching the family value. Mm -hmm. And so the reason I'm coming 
across so strong with this. The reason that we are going to wear seatbelts every single time we get in the car is because safety is my family bag. It's a family bag. Okay? And you told me that you were buckled, and then I discovered that you weren't. weren't. That's a big deal. Because safety is a family bag. Let's rejoice that he was okay. Let's rejoice that he was honest with you. Yes, that's a positive. Take that. Absolutely, I was thrilled that he did that. He doesn't really understand why yet. Anyway, oh yeah, he does. He does. Let's give him credit. So you know, I really did want to celebrate that he was honest about that, but he still couldn't have a Starburst because he's still pissed. No, I just felt really caught about what do I do. I think you are caught in that situation, and I don't think that's terribly uncommon where we've got, we've got a dilemma. And I'll be honest, I think you could have made the other decision. You could have made the decision that says the teacher didn't see him, according to our thing is that, but, or you could say you would have lost it, but because you talked, if, he, if he'd been yeah. a little older, okay. he's, I, I, personally, I would have done what you did. Okay. If he had been a little older, I might have said, you know, you really shouldn't have the starburst. Because the rule is you get the starburst and you don't hurt anybody. But if you've been older, I might have said, but because you were honest with me, this time I'm going to let you have it. I'm really, really big on um, making it, because of my experience, that's my history. But that honesty is such a family value to me. Um, but no, yeah, I think you're exactly right. There's a dilemma thing. Yeah, a big one. Yeah. I thought this was interesting this morning. My eight-year-old, we have some family in town, some cousins that she doesn't get to see a lot. And um, <clears throat> as I was fixing her hair, she had already been prepping us since last night about wanting to be in 11 o'clock service in big church with him. So I knew this was a conversation with him. But I was just fixing her hair, and she said, I asked Daddy about going to big church. Are you going to let me do that? And I said, well, maybe, but why, why is it that you want to go so bad? And she said, well, you know, I just, I need a break from kids' praise. And sometimes I get kind of bored in there. And I said, oh, really? Because I thought it was probably just because you want to sit with your cousins. I said, you know, because Daddy and I want to sit with them, too. And we, we switched out of preschool praise so that we could be in there this week. And so that's why we want to do it. She goes, well, I think it's a lot of that and, and just a little bit of being bored. something that they otherwise shouldn't have. But I love that you 
You called it. But you didn't let it get by with it. But you didn't make it with it. Yeah, I, I would be an extra star for that. <laughs> <laughs> Other questions? Okay, let's go to the next one. Okay. I don't really want to spend very much time debating this one, but I, I just feel like this is out there when we talk about this and when we want to talk about this. Um, I wasn't spanked much, but my parents used spanking when I was a child. I didn't have any negative baggage because of that. I occasionally spanked my first child, not because she was more difficult than my others, mainly just because she was first, and that's what I had been accustomed to in my family, and that's what I did. But I came to decide that that wasn't the best punishment for me to use. I never punished, I never hurt her, I wasn't worried about that. But remember, I told you that, that I tend to say no too quickly, and I just think, I just decided that spanking was too convenient, that it wasn't the best choice. And again, my kids were fairly easily managed, so. Um, but I have come I have come to have a preference that, for not spanking, and that's me personally. I'm, I'm, again, I'm not here to make a really big deal of that. But if you are going to spank, let me give you some things that I think are pretty big cautions. One, there is some research that says spanking is associated with children having more negative images of myself, themselves. And granted, when you look at spanking, you, you, you look at parents who use it rarely, intentionally, cautiously, all the way to parents that truly abuse that. So when you talk about spanking, you're talking about a really broad spectrum. But I do think spanking risks generating some fear uh, of a child. I do, I, this was one of the reasons I quit using this. I remember, um, I don't remember, she did something through a toy or something that could hurt somebody else and I think, oh, oh no, I thought, wait a minute. It just doesn't feel right to hurt her because she's hurting somebody else. And and I, I guess at the end of the day, I have trouble with that piece of it. And then the last one, if you're ever going to spank, but if you're angry, please don't. I just think the risk of, of making a bad choice when you're angry and spanking, I think that's a pretty tough does anybody want to argue with me over this? I, I'm, I'm not really going to stake out this territory and say you're an awful parent. Many of us were raised uh, in spanking school. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Okay, in my judgment, one of the most difficult behaviors to address is defiance. I will not do it. And I don't know about you, but when I hear those words, do you know the tape that goes through my head? I will show you that you will do it. That's the tape. That, that's what it triggers. And that's what it triggers in most of us. It just feels personal. It feels like they are disrespecting <coughs> me. Okay? It usually is not personal, uh, but it often makes us angry or at least frustrated, and we tend to react excessively. Now, I've taught this class four times, no, maybe three or four times, I don't know. I'm looking back over some notes, and I have this slide. And to the side, I have written down, 
If you're ever going to use spanking, this might be the place. What was I thinking? <coughs> I could not disagree with that more vehemently. I really don't know what I was thinking. In the first place, you are more likely to be emotionally involved, and so you're more likely to misuse the spanking. It's already a highly adversarial situation, and spanking is only going to escalate. Now, to tell you this for a reason, I'm kind of embarrassed that I ever wrote that down. But parenting is a process. And I hope that you are going to grow and develop insight and figure out, oh, I didn't look at that very well. I know a better way to look at that now. Or I didn't know, looking back, I don't think this works very well. I'm not going to do that for the next child. I, I want you to give yourself permission to get better. You don't have to stay stuck in something that you now realize, oh, not a very good idea. Okay? I think I mentioned to you that I heard Pat Ward say, oh, don't go read all those parenting books. And it just shocked me because my parenting books are really quite interesting. I think they have good ideas. And I'm going to tell you something different than Pat. I'm going to encourage you to read them. But with a grain of salt, throw out what doesn't make sense. But there might be a kernel that would be good and helpful. My experience in reading parenting books is that many of them have a good core idea that almost all of them take to an extreme that might be unhealthy. You all are too young to remember, but years ago when I was raising children, James Dobson was kind of a parenting guru. He had some great ideas, especially about being firm and consistent with kids. But then some of his later books suggested such stringent consequences that I remember thinking, and who's going to do this? You know, who's going to send a four-year-old to bed at four o'clock till the next morning? I mean, nobody's going to do that. That's, <coughs> that's over the top. So um, I'm going to introduce one to you in the next week or two that I think has a lot of good ideas. But if you read the book and think I've got to embrace all of this, you know, I'm going to take it out. So allow yourself to change your body. Okay. Discover what every good preschool teacher knows. Routine is a treasured friend. Okay? The more you develop, which we talked about this a little bit last week when I talked about the, the teaching method that says you don't do anything for the first two weeks of school except develop the routine. But it can be so helpful. Um, I, Drew comes to me every morning and gets pajamas about 7.30. He eats breakfast. But he knows, and he's almost five, he knows when he gets to his breakfast, he does not have to be told. He goes to the bathroom and washes his face. Does he do it perfectly? Not always. Sometimes it's still plenty over here. He washes his face, he puts on his clothes, and he even knows where to get the comb and spray bottle to do his hair. He pretty much does that without being told. It's just the routine. We don't have to say, no, you can't play with the puzzle first. 
we just do that. It just happens. Going to bed routines can save you so much grief at a time of day that you're tired and they're tired. Do they come overnight? No, you have to cultivate them. I have good friends that have a number of children and every time I'm with them and they get in the car, there is an argument about who is going to sit by the window. And I'm just not quite close enough to say, get a routine. On the first week of the month, this child sits here and this one here, and then you rotate for every, I, I don't care how you do it. I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you this one. I went to New Orleans to see my grandchildren there, and this has only been a couple of years ago. And they have a routine for who gets to pray in their, when they kind of gather at the end of the day and at bedtime and have a prayer. I hope it's because everybody wants to pray, that not that nobody wants to pray. I do think there's an irony that they're arguing over who's going to get to say the prayer that night. I think we're missing something here. But they have a system, and it works. It's something, they're three kids, and it's tied to the day of the week. On, I don't know. It's the day of the month divisible by five. <laughs> you know how nerdy we really are. Um, but I, I, I really, it just saves you so much grief. Next one. And Ruth Rucker's favorite scripture for parents. And it, when she, the first time she said this, I thought, what? And then I got it. It came to pass. You're not going to be at this stage forever. And I think when you're in the midst of it, you think, you know, I remember with one thing, he may be the first one that goes to kindergarten still in diapers. But you know, I worked in kindergartens for years and we never had this in diapers. They all do well. And the last one, celebrate success. It's so easy when you've mastered something, you gotta move on to the next one. You know, we now no longer are pouring our sippy cup all over it, but we're getting food all over the floor. But don't forget, you are no longer pouring the milk out of the sippy cup. It's so easy once those temper tantrums go away to think, oh, we did do that. Embrace a little of that. Because it also gives you confidence for the next skill that you're going to learn. Um, I see in you. Anybody that got up and they lost an extra hour of sleep last night and their children lost an extra hour of sleep, and I know what that does. I hated this time of year. It always took one of night at least a week to get on any kind of schedule after this. You care about what happens to your kids. You're working hard to make it good and the best you can do. And you're not going to do it perfectly, but God's going to give you the grace. But don't let Satan cause you to be discouraged or defeated and and yes, there are going to be moments that don't go the way you want to. That's life. But embrace and celebrate yourself, the unselfishness and the energy and the empathy that you're giving your children. Have a good week.